remember when I first discovered that I was having a girl when I was pregnant, I was determined for what happened to me not happened to my daughter. And I said, if I have a girl, God, I know I have a lot of work. I'm rolling up my sleeves. And I was just going through the drawer the other day and I found this letter that I wrote to my daughter when she was a month old for her in the future. I love it when you find like these time capsules of journals. So I'm just going to read to you a short bit of it. So I wish to be a helpful guide for you through this difficult journey of life. With that said, I want to share some wise words I wrote for myself while in a tumultuous relationship. These apply to every girl that the divine has created. You are a unique treasure and you are worth it. Loneliness is better than being entrapped by misery. If you don't know where a relationship is going, it's okay to ask. There is a man, I'll, I'll add, or woman out in the world who wants to tell everyone he or she is your lover with pride. You deserve someone to love you for who you are. Do not let anyone try and change who you are at your core. Don't let a guy trick you into asking him out. If he is into you, he will muster up the courage to ask you. This obviously could apply for either sex. I'm just writing this because I'm in a girl's body writing it to my daughter, but she may go for a woman one day. Who knows? But caveat aside, if a man respects and cherishes you, he will take you on a romantic date. Hanging out is not a date, especially with his friends. Actions speak louder than words. You have many talents and an interesting life. Don't let a lover consume it. Just add them to the mix, like a salad. And the last one, respect yourself. Don't let them guilt you into doing anything. I mean, if I had known any of this was going to happen, to me, I would have loved to have this list. So it's a list for you, all of you listening. It's a list for your children. It's a list for my children. Welcome back to the Empath and Narcissist Podcast, Spiritual Healing with Human Design, Spirituality from Trauma and Narcissistic Abuse. Here we are empowering empaths into their power and authentic self with human design after narcissistic abuse. It is here as a tool to help you bust out of the prison of narcissistic abuse, of being a victim from narcissistic abuse, and it allows you to be the architect for your own joy and peace in your life. Subscribe now. Today we're talking with Laura Day, a New York Times best-selling author. She has spent nearly four decades helping individuals harness and develop their innate intuitive abilities to create profound change. Newsweek Magazine calls her the 10,000 month psychic. The Independent dubbed her the psychic of Wall Street. A-list Hollywood stars and Wall Street executives praise her ability to predict future events. As Brad Pitt has said, I believe in the gut and I believe in Laura Day. And I'm hoping that she can help us today with our goals, using our intuition and helping you empath liberate from the narcissistic abuse in your life. You can find Laura and more information about her at practicalintuition.com. She has written the books, Welcome to Your Crisis, How to Use the Power of Crisis to Create the Life You Want, How to Rule the World from Your Couch, Practical Intuition for Success, The Circle, and Practical Intuition, Gut Feeling, The Sixth Sense, That Hunch, no matter what it's called, Intuition plays a part in the decisions we make every day. Laura Day shows you how to unlock the remarkable power of your mind in this book. All right. Welcome. Thank you, Laura, for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really very excited. I was just 
getting pulled into your book, Practical Intuition. I was reading it before you popped on because I think it's so powerful. The thing with us empaths is we understand here, we talk a lot about intuition and how we can find our intuition and our human design charts. But just before we dive into your backstory, I'd love to ask you, what what is intuition to you? Like, how do you define it? So intuition is non-local perception. It's our ability to move our attention in time and space. So when you think of your immediate perceptions, it's what we all agree on. I see the couch in front of me. I'm having a conversation with you on Zoom. If we extend that and I'm having a conversation with you without technology, telepathically over a distance, or if I am seeing the rest of where you are right now without ever having seen it, but seeing it in my mind's eye, then we're in the realm of extended perception, uh, extrasensory perception, and uh, intuition, whatever you want, psychic skills, whatever you want to call it. And there's, there is so much research on the fact that we are all perceiving this all the time. But of course, we naturally repress that as children very appropriately, so we can agree on a consensus reality. Yeah. Or if, you know, you, you share something with a parent and they're like, oh, that sounds crazy. That's not real. You must be imagining things. And then you but start to suppress it more. Actually, it's important. It, I, you know, um, one of my pet peeves is this, let's make our children more intuitive. No, let's make our children reality-based. Let's make our children logical. Let's make our children, let's keep our children from being empaths. Let's give our children strong ego structures so they have an eye before those perceptions allow them to feel someone else's feelings or experience a reality that's too above their pay grade. I mean, I, I think it's so important to contain and repress a lot of things in childhood. I mean, we we also repress the joie de vivre because it's also very tied to our aggression. You know, we learn to repress all of this or at least suppress it until mm -hmm. we have the ego structure in place where we can use it constructively. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, because just for instance, I just immediately thought, and this is may not go into the realm of intuition, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my youngest, she sees things in the other realms. Like she clearly sees them and she's not making it up because I can see her reaction to when she sees it. And it's like someone's standing there, but no one's standing there. So I don't want to tell her she's crazy either, but I also don't want her to be scared of it. Right. Cause then you can really like start to feel like, Ooh, right. Being like engaged with it. I mean, I think just like someone's feelings aren't crazy. They're their feelings. And so if you feel devastated because you got the smallest half of a cookie, your mm -hmm. feeling is valid. <laughs> um, and so I think that there is a way to entertain perception without validating it and targeting them in that direction. Because of course, it is your child's goal as a living being to have relationships with living people. And right. so you know, I, I do. We are all born very open intuitively because we have no eye. You know, it is the task of being a human being to develop a strong and and just ego. But but before that, we are pure intuition and drive in many ways. Mm. Uh, and and, you know, I, I think that we don't we don't have to we can hear our children without without subscribing to it because we want our children very reality based in the reality we all agree on. Mm, I like that. And then I know I was listening to the other podcasts that you were on and you were talking about how this is something that maybe as empaths feel isolated or a bit like there's a grudge that we weren't heard as a child that we were so sensitive. And especially the narcissists were always like they're always pushing us off like, oh, you're so sensitive. You're so sensitive. Like it's a negative thing, but finding yourself back again as an adult, like to re-row that muscle as an intuitive person, that can be a little bit daunting because of the judgment. What do you think? Well, you, you've brought up a lot of different things. I mean, I think that when, when children are sensitive, in, in, oversensitive, you know, in that way, where their sensitivity interferes with their resilience is what I mean by mm -hmm. oversensitive. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're oversensitive usually from, from two sources, either neurologically, they're just wired that way or because of injury. So of course, if you grow up in a, in a uh, environment where people are character disordered, you are injured because your parents are the first, your caretakers are the first God in reality. So you're living in a reality that doesn't correspond to everybody else's. And I I think that children who grow up in character disordered households do tend to be hyper intuitive. So they don't learn to repress it because they get their needs met by meeting the needs of their caretakers And because that is way above their understanding, intuition has to be engaged as a survival skill. You know, people who are hyperintuitive as children are not the next Dalai Lama. They are people who are injured and they've Mm -hmm. had to do that to survive. I think that more than anything, teaching people who grow up in those kinds of environments, and I was definitely one of them. I mean, I was raised by a narcissist and a borderline clinical narcissist, clinical borderline. You know, one of the things that happens is that there's this always a hidden agenda, which disempowers the person, and but also makes us a little less reliable as partners and as friends, because we are meeting someone else's needs, but we're meeting them to meet our own. Whereas the one of the real practices, I think, for healing is to realize that in a sense, although empathy is highly valued because it allows you to be used by your environment, empathy is pathology. It doesn't allow you to actually have a positive impact a disinterested positive impact on the person or situation you have empathy for. So the real the real practice, and I've taught my group to say this, we say it as a mantra, you're controlling, so what? You're selfish, so what? You're a bitch, so what? You're castrating, so what? You know, on some level, we all have a shadow, it's so what? And learning to bring our intuition and attention back to what are our needs, what are our goals? What are What is our morality? Because a lot of the time when you're empathic, your morality shifts according to who you're trying to please. And that is the curse of growing up in a disordered environment. It doesn't mean you're not moral. You're highly moral. You're just highly plastic. So, you know, it really is. And my next book is really about this. It really is about rehabilitating that ego. And part of that is reclaiming intuition and not scouting your environment to how you can help or give or hold on, but engaging intuition toward those goals that give you the life you want. Yeah. And I wonder too, then maybe as empaths, we are mixing up our empathic, like people pleasing traits with intuition. And kind well, of calling it that. Intuition teaches us how, you know, says, oh, you can please this person that way. Or you can please this person this other way. I mean, you know, I, I don't consider myself an empath only because neurologically I'm not wired that way, even though I'm an intuitive, anxious caretaker. So I think I present as an empath, but actually the, it, it, it it's a very different it's a different construct i think i think empaths were never allowed to have their own feelings and so they live through the feelings of others which is not healthy for others and not healthy for the empath empath yeah and and i i think we we exalt often qualities that are damaging to the person and helpful to others I really, when my students say I'm an empath, I say, okay, we're going to help you with that. (laughs) That is pathology. That's, that is also kind of being an emotional vampire because you should feel your own grief, not someone else's grief. You should feel your own outrage, not someone else's outrage. And they may be parallel, which is where you find community. You know, when my experience and your experience have a common voice, we find community, but without merging. 
And, and, you know, it, it is, you know, I think that one of the difficulties with being raised in a narcissistic household, for example, yeah. is that everyone's an enemy. I mean, I remember we used to joke, I have two siblings who suicided and a mother who suicided. But back when I had siblings who were living, mm. we used to joke, you know, my little sister was so pretty. And my father would say to me, oh, Sarah's so pretty. Whereas she, he, she, he'd say to Sarah, oh, Laura's so responsible or Martha's so smart. Or, you know, there was this always making everyone an enemy. So you have no anchor. And mm. it's so important, I think, when when you come from that situation, because of course, when we're raised by people like that, we attract them as spouses. We, you know, we we, yeah. really, we become the shadow of whatever we were raised by. And and I think it's so important to just be able to make I statements. I, 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 and to take back your reality that way. I want, I believe, I fear, I need, I hate, I love, I enjoy, you know, really just stick, stick with the eye and realize that that, that has been co-opted by somebody else's pathology. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, there's also a slippery slope of that eye. And I think we're, I, what you're you're teaching to is like overcompensating for being that like lifeless shell of a person, you know, like regain your ego back, regain your eye. And well, then once you find gay, that you were, if you were raised by a yeah. person, you never, you, had never it. Got, you never got an eye, you have little of an eye, but an ego, you're, you're the rudiments of ego form in that first six years of life. Mm -hmm. So everything for all of us is revision after that. But but it, if there are things in your life that you haven't achieved, whether it's in business or a relationship or even in your health, there are things you haven't achieved. Usually, that's an ego injury, and because we're we're uniquely made to achieve what it is we desire. I mean, we're we are pretty effective beings in a world that's not all that hard to figure out. You know, that's that's injury. And and I often tell people who are who are stuck on introspection, because everyone's stuck on looking for their trauma. I'm like, don't yeah. look for your trauma. No need to look for your trauma. Do something that you want to do. Everything that gets in the way is your trauma. Because mm -hmm. your trauma is not your orig original trauma. Your trauma is the ways that you have now learned to re-traumatize yourself. Interesting. Yeah, it gets in the way. And sometimes I feel like my constant introspection and even on this podcast, like asking the why, why did it happen? Because I wasn't raised by narcissistic personalities at all. Um, they were very loving and probably more empathic, but I then fell prey to one at, in, as my first love. And so then my my journey of why became almost like the most destructive, damaging thing that ever happened to my foundation of people, which was interesting. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is, I do think that there is a difference between someone who is ra raised by narcissists and yeah. someone who encounter one, encounters one older. I think when mm -hmm. you encounter one older, you know, yes, you get you get lured in because narcissists and all character disorders are incredible intuitives. They know how to snag you, and if you have if you if you haven't grown to the point where you are you, it triggers the oh, why is this person so exactly what it is I want? You don't you don't identify something you've never seen before, except intuitively. But it, but one of the one of the things that does save the adult is there even if you had a perfect childhood if you picked a narcissist there was something you wanted to express that you expressed through that relationship whereas a child who has been injured you know and never formed that part of their their ego they're repeating an injurious pattern and it is it is different because you one is defended by adult trauma if they have had that ego development as children. If you haven't had it as children, you really are defenseless, which is why I love self-help because 
I realize that there are paradigms that are habitual to me, that are obscene, that should never have existed. And there are people who are doing it right that I can learn from. And I feel like it has been that lifelong desire to to learn something else, to be outside of my own patterns that actually has saved my life. Yeah. And who are some of those people that were your mentors in the early stages of your healing? Well, I mean, I think Deepak Chopra, who's still a dear friend, he and his wife, Rita, he was a huge mentor because he could speak the language of my perceptions. So he could speak the language of oneness and mobile attention and the way that I saw the the world, but he grounded it in medicine. He grounded it in science. He grounded it in ethics and behavior. And he's also very, very generous. I mean, he, he and Wayne Dyer, but he was the impetus offered a, a snotty little 30 year old to travel and teach with them. And back then, you know, I thought I was the greatest thing on earth because that's what he makes you feel. But actually it was a huge gift to me. You know, I was not of that caliber yet. And he, he, he just is such a um, wonderful um, example. He, he and Rita both lead, lead by example of their, of their generosity. So that was, that was incredibly helpful. Also, I was the I, I got a job as an au pair for my family because, of course, narcissistic households. My father was convinced at you know fourteen, right after losing my mother to suicide, that if I went to camp, I would lose my virginity. So, in his wisdom, I got a job as an au pair in Italy. Okay, you know? tell me what is an au pair? I'm too young to know. Oh, what that an au pair is. is a like a babysitter. Okay. Okay. Or a man who just died, who's wonderful family. His name was Anthony Diaz Blue. He was a food, he, food writer and a wine writer. And so I really got to experience like wonderful, creative family. And I'm still friends with their children and, and the family. And he actually just died last week. But oh, wow. I intuition, the wonderful thing about intuition is if you know what you want. And what I wanted was to just be okay. I didn't have grand grand dreams. If you know what you want, intuition bumps you right into it. It really is an idiot's gift. And so I really bumped into these helpful people. All the writers about developmental psychology, I find really, really interesting. Some things, Fritz Perls, Gestalt, you know, I really found, I found teachers and intuition helps you do that. You know, if you have a goal and of course, when we're injured, our goals get co-opted. Um, our goals are to prove to him that I'm worthwhile or to please mommy and daddy who are unpleasable. You know, your goals get co-opted, but I was fortunate enough that intuition gave me possible goals, not fantasy goals. Fantasy goals, you hook onto fantasy tools and you create fantasy. But, but you know, real goals, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be in love. I wanted to speak another language, like these wonderful child goals. And, and then intuition literally identified them, not here, go there. But intuition works by shifting your automatic pilot. And I wrote a book called The Circle, which, which is the methodology for that, which is you have a goal. You allow the experience of it, not in fantasy. You can only fantasize about things you know that you've been exposed to. But intuitively, you allow, you begin to notice things that in yourself, in your environment, in your interactions, and all of a sudden that noticing expands and you create something. And I'm trying to think, and I had some wonderful teachers, you know, mm -hmm. I, I really had, I, I try very hard in my life to assume every child is my child because that saved my life. The kind adults, kind teachers, kind neighbors, people who formed community and without ever speaking about what was going on, which of course I didn't really have words for at that age, care of it. And I, I, I think, and it's also such a privilege, you know, I have all of these young people who have grown up in my house 
who had similar parents, but I was able to be for them the catalyst that other adults were able to be for me. Mm. Yeah. As a role model and being there for them. It's beautiful. And kids, you know, they need role models, but they also need backpacks. They need cash to take the bus. They need the screen replaced so their explosive parent doesn't you know, hurt them because they broke the screen of their iPhone. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're such, the nuts and bolts are so hard when you're young and when you don't have adequate adults. And I think that it, it really is a gift to be in a position where as adults, we do have something to give those, you know, in many ways we heal through healing things in others. I mean, I learned how to care for myself by being a parent. My, my, my husband has been a great healer to me. My son has been a great healer to me, you know, learning to parent, learning to co-parent, learning all of those things have been are really healing. And once again, intuition gives you those seemingly miraculous out of the blue opportunities that you think, oh, wow, that saved my life. What a miracle. It wasn't a miracle. It was your intuition. Your goal was to thrive or survive or achieve in a certain way. And your intuition pulled you and pushed you and moved you and needled you until you got there. And it does start with allowing ourselves, allowing our children to voice their goals. Hmm. And so what if someone's listening and they are an adult, they're kind of just trying to reparent their own selves, healing after this abuse, feeling empty. I, I have here the I'm gonna stop one one thing because one of here's one of my pet things. My yeah. you know, my as adults, uh, abuse is when someone kidnaps you and harms you. Mm-hmm. That's abuse. Abuse is when we are in relationships that are damaging as adults, we are partners in that. So the first thing you do is not see yourself as a victim, see yourself as someone who's made a choice. And, you know, unless you are trapped without a key, you have made a choice. And if you stay in that relationship and don't even go to a shelter, for example, with your children, you have made a choice. So again, there is a difference between a child and an adult. And I think it's really important that that we really see ourselves as part of a dynamic instead of as a victim, because that is really the first step in leaving is saying, wow, feels to me like I'm being abused, but actually I'm staying. And actually I'm part of this. And there is a reason we don't do things if we're not getting things out of them. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that's the confusion of the mental abuse is that they convince you that if you just do this, right, if you just self-care here, then our relationship will be fine, right? Like, so they're pushing off all of the responsibility of that relationship working onto that one partner. And they continue to do their own toxic thing. So that you're saying that's a choice to... that's quite, it's quite that easy. And I have been, I was in a very long narcissistic relationship, you know, relationship with a narcissist. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't think it's quite that easy. You are always getting something out of it. It's not that someone's just cut you down. And part of being able to leave and being able to leave intact or to some degree intact is to say, okay, what am I getting here? What am I getting that I now need to consciously be willing to give up to save my life or save my soul or save my children or, you know, or just be in a different situation to have my self-respect? What is it that I am getting out of it? And often it is, there are ways that narcissists allow us to cheat. They allow us to not take responsibility for our own social life or to not take responsibility for our own X, Y, or Z. The more that something is your fault, the more you have the power to change it. And, you know, people tend to attract people at their same level of injury. So although a narcissist may not attract another narcissist, probably won't, there is a, the same level of injury in the partner, but in a different area. 
And so taking responsibility for that, I think is really, is, is a really important thing to do. Also because there are not bad, there are rarely, not never, but there are rarely bad guys and good guys. You know, there are, there are people with different kinds of injuries that both parasitically attach. And it is, it is for healing one, ideally both, but one of those people do need to take responsibility for their own, their own injury. And, you know, I know that the narcissist I was with made me feel very special, you know, love bombed for a long time, took over tasks that I didn't want to perform, made themselves invaluable in certain ways. And yes, while cutting me down, but I think that if we look at relationship in certain ways, we, we give as much as we get in negativity as well. So from your experience, what did you get from that, that relationship? I actually signed a document typical of narcissists that I'm not allowed to speak about that. So <laughs> but, okay, but okay. I, I, you know, I, I think we do get anyone who's been in a, in a relationship like that gets if you look at where you were cheating, you know, mm -hmm. even something sad, like no one else will love me. But if you look at where you were cheating, you weren't, you know, people find ways to live alone. And, you know, where was it that you were cheating? Because there is always a place. It is people of equal injury attract. Yeah, I can and, say from my experience, I was getting a status. I yeah. felt like I was, I was better than my upbringing. And I thought I was climbing the ladder in life. Yeah. And, that and so my... it is, those are always the hooks and it's our denial of the, it is my, it is the thing that I think is very uh, undermining with a lot of the designating titles of pathology to other people mm -hmm. is it doesn't give us the power. And we have, we have the power to, to say, this is no longer worth it to me. Or yeah. she's gotten the worth and the status and I'm willing to lose it. Maybe I've learned something because one yeah. of the great things about relationships- <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but even, you know, one of the great things about relationships, even difficult ones, because I see many things that I got out of my relationship with a narcissist. And, you know, as someone who is codependent, I got, I got a lot of it dishonestly. You know, I got a lot of it, you know, because I allowed certain things I shouldn't have allowed or gave up certain things that weren't healthy to give up. But still, at that moment, I was getting what I wanted to get. Of course, there's always more, but there's always more on both sides. The narcissist isn't getting what they want to get either. They want to get a self. They want to feel full. They want to feel complete. They want to be out of pain. And we can't, we are by nature, any, any partner is disappointing because we can't make, we can't fill that emptiness. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, but I think that we, you know, all human beings are precious and um, the narcissist I lived with was precious to me. And there are many beautiful gifts that I received in that relationship that I still really honor and, and many ways in which I wish I had behaved differently, despite if I had had the knowledge of what a narcissist was, I would have been able to be more empathic in an appropriate way. You know, I think at the end of the day, and this is the difference between character disordered people and the rest of us, just general neurotics, at the end of the day, I loathe myself for my shortcomings, not for what I didn't get, you know, mm -hmm. but for what I didn't give, for where I didn't show up as a fellow human being. And so even in my memory, I, I really remind myself to treasure the gifts that I did get in those difficult relationships, whether it's with my parents. It doesn't mean that I treasure them and don't say, hey, you also messed up big time. But, yeah. but you know, to say, because to loathe the entire relationship is to loathe 
all the growth that you made in yourself. Mm. And that is not, that's not healthy. We go back to, so what? You fell short. So what? You weren't pretty enough. So what? You didn't make enough money. So what? It's like, so it's, it, 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 those indictments of other are really what, when we accept them, they harm us. It's not a, so what, if you wish you weren't such a bitch, then it's so what? And you know, I agree with that. That's really good information. I'm going to work on that. Mm -hmm. Not for them, for, for yourself. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't kind of take that flippant mindset as well, that's what also blocks you from trying again or succeeding or getting up and having that perseverance. Cause you're like, so hung up on like, oh, I failed. I'm such a loser. Now I can't ever do it ever again. Right. Although the wonderful thing <laughs> is that character disorders tend to attract people who don't feel they have enough of the self unless they're it's acknowledged by someone else. So we are relationship mm. people. You yeah. know, when my husband leaves for a week, I lose seven pounds because I won't cook for myself. I eat eggs and avocados, which I like perfectly well, but I'm not going to make a two course, three course meal for myself. So mm. we don't tend to be alone. We tend to feel that the year or two we are alone is the most painful thing in the world, but we tend to be people who find partners. And the trick is yeah. not replicate the old injury through the new partner. And I think in, in part, that does come from, again, taking responsibility. This is what I got. I really try in every relationship, except for my parental ones, where it was their job to give. But mm -hmm. in other relationships, I, I, I look for, okay, what was the hook for me? What did I get? And how did I not say thank you? You know, mm -hmm. how was I not grateful? Because it is in acknowledging what you got that you own it as your own, and that you're also able to let go of the dynamic of that person was a whatever your description is. Yeah. And I really think a lot of the communities that we follow on, at least when I'm on social media, you know, going on to do the engagement, to post my thing about the podcast, it just pulls me into another vortex of like constantly angry and the victim and like, you know, if they didn't want you to speak your about them, then they should have treated you properly. And it's always kind of this like black or white scenario of like, I'm always the victim. I have no, you know, like I'm perfect. I did not do anything wrong in the relationship. And they're the ones who are the evil people. Right. And I've always been like, so icky about that concept because I do cherish my ex, even though he was really horrible to me, but I'm so happy. He's finally happy now. Like I know where he's landed and how that all turned out. And I'm, I'm happy for him. I don't have any ill will. And I think people can still so easily get stuck in that ill will and then they can't move forward themselves in life. Yeah. I mean, what is that? This thing about anger, anger is poisoning the well that you yourself have to drink from. And, mm -hmm. and that is true. And there are always two sides. If you listen to the narcissist, they would say, well, this person did this to me and yes. this person failed me in this way. And this person I abandoned him and that's totally my fault. But I tried. And, so and we tend to listen. We are our own blind spot. And it again, people of equal pathology tend to match themselves. So my pathology, my diverse pathology, but equal pathology matched the partner's pathology and thus this was born but it is the job of the adult to take every experience and make something better out of it mm -hmm. and you know you're more even-handed than I am I have no idea what's happened to my ex I have no <laughs> desire to know I did not desire it at all but his second ex reached out to me because I have the platform and I was like kind of scared at first I thought he was like gonna do something else to me through her but anyways yeah it Anyway, I did not ask for that. I did not search for that. <laughs> the sad thing is that many of these people are actually extraordinary people. They're just injured, but they're actually often smart and funny and magical and warm and so many extraordinary things that we actually got from being in relationship from with them that we mm -hmm. learn. I think sometimes 
the difficulty after a character disorder is to learn how to live kind of grounded real life that's not, you know, supersonic, that's not mm -hmm. always, you know, ultimate rush magic, but to but to value the peace that comes from an ethically lived, mundane, you know, everyday yeah. life without all of the artifice. And, you know, again, I, I the the best the the best path and really the intuitive path is to be responsible for self. And mm -hmm. after the age of about 10, you really are. You have you have the perceptual machinery to begin to make different choices. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I often, I mean, as I said, I come from a family where I am really the only siblings who survived. I'm the only survivor. Oh my gosh. It, it, and, and I, I do ask myself because I'm a teacher also. And my, my job is to make sure that my students survive, that they thrive. And I do it through teaching intuition, how, how they can find what they need in the world, even if they seem to live in a complete desert. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe that it was the profound, before I had an ego, the profound desire to connect the profound willingness to connect and kind of blessedly not being the golden child, not being the one who was connected with or mm -hmm. and having to find that in my world. I had a, as an aside, when COVID started, I was in London. My husband's a screen and TV writer mm -hmm. and producer and we were, he was running a show in London so I was in quarantine in London and I had just the beginning of a little online community, but I had a newsletter and a big newsletter list. And I said to my husband, you know, I've made a lot of money over the years off of all of the, you know, courses and books and blah, blah. I said, I'm going to let people in my group know that if they need their rent paid or diapers or whatever, that they can email me and I'll try to take care of it. And he said to me, don't do that. You are going to be so crushed because you're going to have so many demands and it's going to break your heart and people are going to get angry. And as usual, even though he's a very wise man, I did not listen to him. And I put it in my newsletter, email mm -hmm. me, anybody who needs anything, I will do my best, no promises. And my husband was right. I was overwhelmed, except people had misread the email and they thought I was asking for donations for oh. people in need. And I had an overwhelming response. I forget how much I allocated. I allocated like 15 or $20,000. And I have a pretty big list. So that wasn't a lot of money to cover that list. But people's needs were kind of basic, like people couldn't get masks, people couldn't get diapers, people, you know, couldn't pay their rent, or they had no way of getting food, or a lot of a lot of children who depended on school meals, you know, their families needed extra food for school meals that they got in school. Overwhelming response from this community. Mm. People were paying each other's rents. There was one woman who had to leave an abusive situation. She left literally in her yoga clothes. One amazing person in our group bought her a whole new wardrobe and new tools for her work. And, you know, people sent her, you know, money. And this is before Venmo, I guess they PayPal, I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, people found ways to, we had a first responder who, who couldn't get medication that she lived in, I think, Queens village and the doorman wouldn't bring the medication up, but nobody was allowed oh. in. So she oh. had no way. We had another first responder who did not have COVID who said, oh, I, I am an authorized person to be around, mm -hmm. picked up her medication, which someone else paid for, along with like bath salts and Pop-Tarts and whatever, and, you know, vitamin C drink, and brought it to her door. And we had Incredible. people who didn't know each other. And I really realized this is what saved me. And that's what intuition allows you to do, because you can also find those people who will take advantage of you or harm you, which was really mostly not what I experienced, which for an unsupervised child is pretty miraculous. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my siblings were not as lucky, but or as intuitive. Mm -hmm. But 
but I really, I realized there, we all live in a different world. I live in a, in an apartment building and each person in this building lives in a different world. And what intuition helps you to do mm. is move your gaze just that tiny bit where there's a whole new world in front of you. Hmm. And I love how your book guides people through that. Um, you have exercises, right? If, cause that's what my, I was going to ask you is like, how do we now strengthen our intuition to trust it? Cause that's another huge question. I don't trust, trust myself now. <laughs> you should trust yourself. You should document it. Trust okay. something else. I'm not big on trust. Um, okay. you, what you do with intuition is you, you train it, you discipline, you train it you, by having goals. You discipline it by not Every time your intuition, because your intuition can give you more information about something miserable that's going, that's possibly going to happen at some time. So mm -hmm. you want to really use discipline to, to look in the direction of what is possible and not look in places that are rabbit holes. And one of my favorite posters I've ever made for Instagram was rabbit holes are not even good if you're a rabbit, you know, <laughs> do not want to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> All of my books are workshops. So all of my books are really made to be used by people or companies or in relationship or by therapists or by physicians to actually train their own intuition and to train the people around them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really does start with, you know, what is your goal and what are you noticing and how do you document that? And where have you documented accurate things about the future you had no other way of knowing? And what begins to happen is you begin to form a map. So I have all of these journals all around my house with these things that come out of left field, not the normal thoughts. Believe me, if your intuition is telling you you're going to die in a fiery crash, believe me, you will not die in a fiery crash. Intuition tells you things that are accurate and actionable. Do, they don't tell you things you can't do anything about. Your subconscious represses that. So your neuroses are not intuitions. They're neuroses. They're very okay. different. Intuition, <laughs> intuition will say, why are you going for a medical degree? Medi you know, really making you feel bad, even though everyone in the family is a doctor in internal medicine. Well, when my father was a doctor in internal medicine in the 70s and 60s, he was making over a quarter million dollars a year when that was a huge amount of money. Now they start at what, 54,000 and they have loans to pay back. Yeah. So intuition begins to push you in directions, make you uncomfortable. And then the skilled person, the responsible intuitive does some research. Oh, wow. There's a glut in medical schools. Oh, wow. There's a trend toward insurance-based medicine. Oh, wow. The Oh, let me let me check logically out the information that intuition is giving me, because mm. there are usually the seeds. Okay. And but I really love this for beginning intuitives. I really love the circle for because it engages intuition in your goals for okay. For people who are interested in just wowing, blowing their own minds, like, oh, I thought about, I did the telepathy exercise and the person actually called, I really recommend How to Rule the World from Your Couch. They're all complete, they're all complete workshops, but also on Instagram every morning. I mean, I'm taking a month off till February 7th, but usually every morning and sometimes every night, depending on what time zone I'm in, I just go on live and I have three coins that are numbered one, two, and three. Everyone has three questions or goals written down at home. I pick a coin. I don't look at it to rule out telepathy. We all do a reading first for ourselves. And again, we don't know which goal we're, we're doing a reading on. And then we do it for someone, a stranger in the group. Mm -hmm. And it's uncanny when you realize how much bullshitting people is stupid because we know we don't know consciously but talk about trust your subconscious will go wow that person's great but i don't trust them because mm -hmm. they're lying people know lies and that goes also you know part of the problem going back to narcissistic dynamics part of the problem in a narcissistic relationship is you subscribe to a truth because you have to, you want to believe that truth, but subconsciously you know that there's no foundation, that it's all based on, on smoke and mirrors and lies. And so you can never really effectively engage because if something isn't real, you can't pick it up and use it to create anything with. So, and I, mm -hmm. I, I'm very, 
tough on my on my especially on my Instagram group and on my my boot campers, which is what I call my when I train people in intuition, which I do once a year. I'm very tough on them. I said, do not magicalize. You know, do not magic is having an idea, getting funding for it, getting people on board with it, creating a product that people want, building a life, building a family, falling in love, protecting your health. Magic is in the mundane and people tend to magicalize. And then again, you're working with things that don't exist and they create things that don't exist. Great for a fiction writer, not great for a life. Yes. Yeah, unless you want a really great, you know, New York Times bestseller fiction book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I'm I'm going to get the circle book because that sounds like a great beginner, right? First book. It's a great first book, but you have to do it. One thing I will say about my mm -hmm. books mm -hmm. is they're not reading books. They yeah. are doing books because, yeah. and this is one of my favorite posters I ever made for Instagram. You cannot think outside the box you are the box. So it is so important to engage in discipline when you're doing something that's outside the box because someone else has done it for you. You have to use discipline. It's the only way to use a ritual, to use a habit to break an old pattern. And when you do that, even a tiny one, miracles occur. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. That's amazing. Well, Laura, that's that. I'm just we're just gonna leave it at that for everyone uh, to reach out to you and get a hold of you. All your links will be in the show notes. Grab the your books, the whatever book you desire there. And I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the end of this podcast episode and being an empath member here in the community. If you want to grab a free copy of my new book empath's guide to rising strong a human design guidebook and a mini personalized human design reading click the link in the description be sure to listen to the empath and narcissist audible book or you can grab your paperback on amazon it is a profound exploration of my journey and healing providing you with tools for healing as well the link is in the show notes Losing time, I'm fading fast I just wanna make it last Try to let go of the past I close my eyes, embrace the blast Sleepless nights and headaches stack Restlessness to hell and back What's my purpose, what do I grab? A slippery surface, a heart attack And sometimes you just gotta believe There's something that'll give you relief There's something that'll have what you need What you need